from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Welcome to the CUNA News Podcast. I'm Assistant Editor Brock Fritz, and there's a lot going on in the economy right now. CUNA Chief Economist Mike Schenk will cover as much of it as he can in this week's episode. He goes over the CUNA Economist's most recent economic forecast while discussing what he's optimistic about, what he's pessimistic about, inflation, the lending outlook, the stock market, and the chances of a recession. The following conversation was recorded in early June and calls back to the CUNA Economist's spring economic update. Let's hear from Mike. All right, thanks for joining me, Mike. So today, kind of talking all about the economy. So first off, what's on top of your mind these days regarding your job as an economist? Oh my gosh, I got to tell you, there are so many things that, that I'm thinking about at the moment. Extreme volatility, extreme uncertainty, things like uh, commoditized products and services, the uh, war on talent, uh, massive, expensive, and extremely necessary digital transformation, things like uh, the rising tide of increasingly complex cyber threats, some really ugly demographic trends. Over and over again, I'm hearing about big regulatory burdens. Oh, and you know, there's the possibility of World War III and sure. the pandemic and fast rising interest rates and just it's a whole bunch of stuff across a pretty wide spectrum. But I think the thing really that rises to the top for me as a credit union economist pretty much aligns with, I think, what the thing is that concerns most credit unions, and that is the financial health and well-being of consumers, of our members. The Financial Health Network, as you may know, recently released data, actually was from uh, late last year, that basically showed that across America, roughly two-thirds of people are financially unwell. And that is a really big deal, especially at a point in time when economists are talking about an unemployment rate that's just a hair over 3.5% and wages that are rising pretty quickly. If you look at the aggregate numbers, the consumer balance sheet is in pretty good shape overall. And yet, we're talking about that. We're talking about continuing to talk about the vast uh, swath of people in the United States that live paycheck to paycheck, the incredible number of people who can't even come up with four or $500 in emergency savings to meet an unexpected expense. That's what I'm most concerned about at the moment. A lot of the numbers that we're looking at look fairly good from an economic fundamental standpoint. But, uh, you know, when you dig a little bit deeper, there are some real reasons for concern. So going into that a little bit, I guess, with the people living paycheck to paycheck, I'm sure there's a number of reasons, but I don't know what in your mind has kind of led to that situation. Oh, I think there are many things that contribute to that situation. I would say the number one determinant of somebody's financial well-being is the conditions that they're born into and their experiences as a young person and the opportunities that they have or don't have as a young person. 
you've opened a big can of worms with that question. But yeah. the good news is that we do know that uh, when we talk about the transformative power of cooperative finance, it's not just talk. It actually happens. So as you may know, we conducted a voter survey uh, in January of this year, and the results from that survey are, are really compelling. We asked uh, both credit union members and folks that don't use credit unions a series of about 15 questions around financial well-being. And the results we got, uh, as I say, were, were really astounding. I mean, I wasn't surprised that we saw differences, but the size of the differences that we saw were really, I think, uh, eye-popping. So, for example, one thing we asked was whether or not people thought that the financial institution that they used, if they were credit union members, the credit union, if there were other people, whatever uh, institution or outfit they used, whether that uh, intermediary or that group of financial companies that they're involved with cares about their financial well-being. And what we found with credit union members is that almost all, 88%, I think it was, just a hair under 90%, said that they think that their credit union cares about their financial well-being. Wow. That's a high number. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting is that when we looked at the people that were especially enthusiastic about credit unions and especially enthusiastic about other institutions. So we asked our questions on what's called a Likert scale, it's a, sort of a one to five scale. And, and we looked at, uh, asked some questions and uh, I can't remember the exact wording of the answers, but let's say they were agree and agree strongly. If we just concentrated on the people that agreed strongly with various statements, those people that were most enthusiastic, we saw really significant differences between credit union members and, and non-members. Credit union members were, for example, about two times more likely to say that they've had deep, meaningful conversations with their credit union. So they've actually sat down and had a conversation around their financial state and sort of where they're at at the moment and where they want to be and how they get from point A to point B. They've had those conversations one-on-one. -on -one. It's not simply the idea of providing people with brochures and content on the web, but actually talking to them one-on-one. -on -one. Credit union members are much more likely to say that. They're much more likely then to behave differently in ways that improve financial well-being. So we know from the data that uh, credit union non-members are two times more likely to say that they have not put $500 aside in a rainy day fund. That is a big deal. Got a lot of academic research that shows if you don't have a little money set aside, uh, you're going to be much more vulnerable, much more likely to be uh, significantly impacted when uh, unexpected events take place in your life. So that's uh, pretty interesting in terms of a behavioral uh, difference. Both more engagement in terms of consulting, changing behavior in terms of setting money aside, and uh, because of that, what we find is that credit union members are about 1.5 times more likely than non-members to say that their credit union has actually improved their financial well-being. I'm concerned, but I'm also pretty encouraged by those results because they do really make it clear that average consumers see the credit union difference, they feel the credit union difference, they experience it, and they value it. Yeah, it's interesting to get some of those numbers to that. So, yeah, you mentioned one of your biggest concerns economy-wise is just the amount of people living paycheck to paycheck. How about optimism with the economy? What 
other than what you just told us, but what factors are you encouraged about? Well, I'm pretty optimistic about the labor market. At the moment, there are way more job openings than there are people looking for work. Uh, so uh, the unemployment rate, as I said earlier, is at 3.6% at the moment. We see people that had dropped out of the labor force increasingly coming back into the labor force. Wages and salaries are growing and growing pretty quickly. They're not keeping up with inflation, but they're increasing at a pretty decent rate. And uh, you know, when people are making money and they have a, the prospects for employment are good, there tends to be a more optimism than there otherwise would be. Uh, there already is a substantial amount of pent up demand in the marketplace, and you know that pent up demand will, uh, I think, express itself as we go forward, which should be good news for the lending outlook in particular. Yeah, why don't we go into that then? What what's the lending outlook? <laughs> What is it looking like for 2022? Well, I, I hesitate to say that it's a rosy outlook, but I'm, I'm pretty upbeat. And I, when I say I'm pretty upbeat, that's a reflection not only of my own point of view, but we have two other economists here at CUNA who put these forecasts together. We do a quarterly forecast that we post on our website, cuna.org slash economics. The three of us get together with Steve Rick, the chief economist over at CUNA Mutual. And from time to time, my predecessor, Bill Hample, joins us. And uh, so when I say my outlook, it's our outlook, really. Uh, we see loans growing at a pretty decent rate. Overall, loan growth came in at just over 7.5% last year, which is very, very close to the long-run average rate of growth in loans. The deal is, though, that that growth in large part, actually over the last two years, was concentrated in three areas, business lending, the used car market, and then also First mortgages, as you know, there was a tremendous amount of, of mortgage refinancing activity that propelled loan growth forward in a pretty significant way. The good news is because of the combination of, of pent-up demand and a pretty strong labor market, we think that loan growth will continue to grow at a rate that's maybe a little bit above the long-run average, a little bit uh, closer to 8% this year, and then 7% next year. The good news is not only that that relatively healthy level of growth will continue, but that we expect those increases in loan portfolios to be broader based as we look forward. So it's not going to be just concentrated in a couple areas of the portfolio. We feel like the new automobile market, uh, especially as we get later into our forecast horizon, uh, will look uh, especially um, strong and um, home equity lending should come back in a pretty obvious way. We're already starting to see some pretty significant increases in unsecured lending, both in credit card loans and in personal unsecured loans. That's kind of a double-edged sword, uh, typically, because on the one hand, it reflects that there is demand in the marketplace. On the other hand, uh, unsecured loans growing at a high rate tends to be correlated with uh, situations where people that sort of on the, uh, on the lower rungs, vulnerable people are perhaps inching closer to potential problems. So we're watching that closely. We're not seeing big increases in um, delinquencies or net charge-offs, but uh, it's, it's the kind of thing when we see fast growth in those portfolios that tends to get our attention. Okay, so you hear a lot about the auto and housing markets. Is that expected to take a downturn anytime soon or is it kind of static now from your perspective? No, we think that, again, that there's a good amount of demand in the marketplace, both for autos and for housing. We have some real issues with supply, and so that's affecting prices and 
you know, makes affordability a little bit more difficult for people on the margin. But I would say as uh, for this year, well, let's see, first mortgages probably grew by about nine and a half percent last year. This year, I would expect because there will be far fewer refinancings, I think that uh, first mortgages will grow at a rate of about 5%. Last year, new vehicle loans actually declined. The overall balances went down by one percentage point movement-wide. And I think in 2022, that the increase will be closer to somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 to 5.5%. Five yeah, and then when you talked about the labor market a couple times already, what would go into it not being an employee's market, I guess? Or are you expecting it to stay the way it is for a while? Our baseline forecast calls for the unemployment rate to stay right around 3.5% throughout the forecast horizon, which at the moment goes out to the end of 2023. So we don't, in our baseline forecast, expect to see much in the way of uh, hiccups or that sort of thing going forward. And then inflation is also in the news a lot. Um, what are the main factors causing that and how long do you expect it to last? There are a couple of things. Number one, there's a lot of liquidity in the marketplace. The federal government has, has been engaged from an economic perspective. And so people have a lot of money to spend, for one. And they have been spending at a pretty fast clip. More importantly, I think, are the issues related to supply chains and in particular, the root causes being the pandemic and the response to the pandemic uh, on the one hand, and then the war in Ukraine. Both of those things really have turned what we thought would be a relatively short-term event with supply chains and um, the uh, issues surrounding things like chips being unavailable for cars and that kind of thing to something that's going to be more persistent, obviously, and that we're more concerned about and that consumers are more concerned about. Yep. So we don't really spend a lot of time trying to forecast the course of the pandemic. We're not public health experts, and we mm -hmm. don't have a lot of experience in forecasting disease and pestilence and that kind of thing. But um, <laughs> what I will say is that it's very clear from the short period of history that we've lived with the pandemic that... Uh, the course of COVID matters, and it matters a lot. It's disruptive. And to the extent we have in the future uh, big increases in COVID or variants that are particularly nasty, then we will more than likely see more dislocation and more disruption of supply chains. I think it's fair to assume that here in the United States, we won't be at any point in the near future going back to lockdowns and that kind of thing. But it doesn't matter what's happening simply here in the United States, obviously, up until recently, there were 45 pretty big cities in China that were completely shut down. We'll talk a lot about Shanghai, but that was the tip of the iceberg. In any case, you know, when that happens, that affects supply chains. And, and, and when supply chains are affected in a significant way, that leads to inflationary pressures. So on the one hand, that's a big deal. You know, when I, when I talk about the war in Ukraine, the direct effects here in the United States are not necessarily very significant. Probably about a half a percent of our imports come from Russia. About a percentage of our, 1% of our exports go to Russia pre-war. And um, I think the one stat that I saw was that somewhere in the neighborhood of 0.6% of all revenue in the Russell 2000 has something to do with interactions with Russia. So that direct exposure is not real strong. 
on the one hand, but on the other hand, you know, there are a bunch of indirect effects. We do trade with European countries in a pretty significant way. And uh, to the extent that uh, raw materials and energy prices are, are increasing quickly because of the war and because of the reluctance to trade with Russia, that will affect those supply chain disruptions will affect prices. Obviously, all parts of the world are different, but are some of these issues kind of global issues as well, as far as the inflation or gas prices? Or Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No question about it. So inflation and credit unions, um, what are the impacts of inflation on credit unions? Well, you know, when we make loans, somebody promises to pay us $100 in the future and, and we're living with inflation, the money we get back in the future, that $100 is not worth the same amount, nope. right? So that's kind of a big deal. And then related to that, obviously, is that inflation hits people on fixed incomes pretty hard. So again, those frontline folks uh, or people that are on the edge, elderly people in particular, they get hit especially hard. I was just uh, actually in Portland, Maine uh, okay. these last couple of days, and I uh, had the opportunity to meet for dinner with a couple of credit union people and they express grave concern about the, the, the future and especially about what's going to happen in the winter. As you may know, the houses up uh, in that area of the country are heated with uh, home heating oil. Uh, th- that's a big deal. Oil prices are going up and you know, they're near all time high. So, and Maine in particular has the highest percentage of people that are elderly, the oldest average age in the nation. You got a bunch of people on fixed income using a resource that's rising uh, very quickly uh, in price. And um, they're just wondering how bad it's going to get in terms of delinquencies and loan defaults and that kind of thing. And they're bracing themselves for a really significant disruption. So are you anticipating a recession in the near future or the little more further out future? Actually, there's been a lot of talk on that front. You know, you've more than likely heard some real prominent people talking about the uh, probability of a hurricane being on the horizon, that kind mm. of thing. Both Jamie Dimon and Elon Musk have uh, talked quite a bit about uh, their expectations on that front. We're a little bit more saying we, we, we look at the data and our baseline forecast suggests that uh, we will more than likely sidestep recession. I think probably... Since we put that uh, forecast together, the probability of recession has increased marginally. I would say that uh, we're just probably a hair below 50%, half and half in terms of probability of recession. But you know, we look at a number of different metrics, leading indicators of recession. And uh, when we look at those leading indicators at the moment, not too many of them uh, raise red flags. So the one that everybody talks about, of course, is an inverted yield curve. We look to see if the curve is inverted. It has to stay inverted for a while. It's not inverted. It's, you know, it's relatively flat, but not inverted. And so that's good news. We look at the senior loan officer surveys at banks that, that are conducted by the Federal Reserve. We look to see if CNI loans, commercial and industrial loan underwriting is uh, on net tightening or not. And uh, you know, the percentage of banks that are tightening has been increasing. But on net, uh, we're still below. We have more banks that are not tightening than, than are tightening. So that's good news. That, that says that, uh, that senior loan officers really think that the economy will continue to uh, perform fairly well in the scheme of things. 
we look at things like the difference between corporate debt yields and the yields on treasury securities. And, uh, you know, those yields are not widening. They're actually declining a little bit as uh, we look at the data uh, recently. And we look at things like um, whether or not consumer confidence is rising or falling, especially if it's falling quickly. So uh, things like um, a three-month 20-point decline in the um, consumer confidence index is a pretty good leading indicator of recession. That has not happened, although confidence is, you know, relatively low in the scheme of things. We've not seen a big dramatic decline. And really, the only place where we see a red flag is in increasing energy prices. In advance of most recessions in modern history, we see pretty strong increases in in energy prices. Those increases really typically are happening because of strong increases in demand. And what we're seeing now in terms of the increases actually are, as I mentioned earlier, related to supply more than demand. So we're concerned about that. We're watching it closely. But typically, we look for a number of those red flags to be going up before we conclude recession on the horizon. So the stock market, um, what's catching your attention there right now or what factors are impacting it? Well, I think the stock market is still overvalued, but not by as much and actually probably getting pretty close to the territory where we would conclude not overvalued. So we were kind of expecting softening equity prices based on the overvaluation that we've been seeing for a while. We weren't especially surprised about the changes that we've seen recently. And, um, you know, we sort of welcome sort of more normal pricing in that market. A couple of observations about the stock market. Number one, stock markets usually don't cause recessions. So a declining stock market, historically, when we see, say, a 10% decline in stock prices, historically, on average, that would be associated not with recession, but with about a half a point decline in overall economic growth. So we've, we've sort of baked that into our forecast, and uh, we are concerned about the stock market. We do recognize that while not everybody has an ownership interest in stocks, people see those numbers typically on a daily basis, and they you know, do mental math around those numbers and, and adjust their behaviors based on how the market is performing. But again, the effects of behavioral changes don't typically translate to big changes in economic fundamentals. I know there's a lot going on right now. So is there anything I skipped or anything you wanted to expand on at all? Well, to tell you the truth, Brock, I mean, I, my, my uh, economic uh, forecast discussions usually uh, take about an hour or hour and a half. So yeah, I, that's I, what I figured. <laughs> I've, I've kind of uh, scratched the surface here. We could we could talk for a long time, but I, I think the, you know, the, the essential points are, are there in what we talked about. We don't think the sky is falling. We do think the economy will continue to grow, albeit at substantially slower rates than we were forecasting at the beginning of the year, in large part because you know we didn't anticipate the war in Ukraine. It's problematic. And the longer it goes on, the greater uh, our level of concern will grow. Again, watching that very, very closely. But our baseline at the moment says that the economy will continue to grow that labor markets in particular will continue to reflect a strong showing overall, and that should be especially helpful for credit union operations generally and for credit union lending in particular. And again, cuna.org slash economics 
you can find our latest and greatest podcast at that address. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. 